You're listening to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Matt Gunn here at the RELA Supply Chain Conference in Florida. Joining me today is Eric Johnson, Research Director of American Shipper. Hi, Eric. How are you doing, Matt? Doing well. Thanks for joining the show today. Thanks so much for having me. So you go to a lot of these events and talk to a lot of people in the industry itself. When we're in this, we're kind of in an echo chamber where everyone's really stoked about supply chain. They're excited about the progress that they're making and the efficiencies that they're gaining and the new technology and innovations that they're producing, whether they're vendors or shippers or anyone along the lines. Now, there's a whole other side to it, especially recently. It seems that supply chain has become a somewhat polarizing topic in the world. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think the sort of tenor of the election on both sides really was very anti-trade. And that's carried over past the inauguration into some of the policies that we're seeing that are being talked about. I think trade is very much under the microscope, not just, you know, aspects of it, but its existence, you know, altogether. And so, I mean, we're here at a conference where people are trying to figure out the most efficient way to get goods from here to there. You know, everyone here is sort of the choir where they're past the point where they understand the benefits of trade. I think the consumer at home might have a more simplified understanding. I think there is a broader understanding of what the impact that supply chain has, but that broader understanding is confined mostly to the last mile. I still don't think the average consumer at home has a real good understanding of what it takes to get to that last mile step. Obviously, everyone in this room does. So it's kind of on us to advocate for what trade is all about. Right. In a way, when you're the consumer at home, you do kind of get that all of these goods come from somewhere you know and you're pretty well empowered to do research into a product and, and into the brands and the benefits out there and then decide who's going to send it to you, when they're going to send it to you, at what cost and, you know, at what speed. And there are expectations around that, right? So, you know, Amazon is now just a utility. You just buy a thing. It's at your door in two hours or two days or very conveniently. So, in a way, they're really just thinking about that end user aspect of it. But then... A lot of the times the conversation comes about, where do these products come from? Is it sourced in the United States? Are we buying foreign-made goods? How many times is it crossing a border? Or is it crossing a border once it's made? That is a complicated conversation when it comes down to it. One positive of what's happened over the last few months is that our industry is a little bit more, you know, there's been a light shined on our industry. I think people are more cognizant of global trade, you know, how it impacts their life. I think they're talking about where products are made, where jobs are tied to, free trade agreements. Those kinds of things were very much in a, a secluded corner in the world of commerce. They're now being talked about, and that's fine. I just think it's, it's sort of unfair to paint trade and all the folks who have jobs that are tied to trade in a position where you know, they're having to sort of defend the benefits of it because I think we've seen over time that the benefits of trade are vast, not just in the, on a global level, but even within the U.S. And so, you know, people having an understanding, I think they do. You know, I think the ability to kind of adjust the throttle, the speed of the shipment in that final stretch from the vendor that they buy it from has helped them understand that things don't just magically appear on shelves. So that's good but there's still so much that they don't really consider or understand. I mean, you talked about crossing borders. You know, a product that they buy, you know, the country of origin is going to be on there, but components of that product may have originated in five different countries, including the U.S. 
It may have crossed across U.S. borders as an export and then come back as an import. That's all good. It creates a lower cost, high quality product and creates jobs on both sides. So I think a lot of the rhetoric that's out there is kind of losing the nuance of this. It's not a binary question about where jobs are and where they aren't. Right. And so as supply chain experts or professionals in this field, it's hard to have that conversation because, again, you're looking at it through the lens of not just, you know, policies and political rhetoric. You're now looking about solving problems, dealing with whatever it is that's come up today. Unforeseen circumstances, yeah. yes. Now, when you do oversimplify it, it causes a lot of problems for you as the manufacturer or the retailer out there. All of a sudden, you're adjusting for a, a new tax or for trade lanes that are now much more difficult and cause friction in whatever it is that you're trying to do. How do you ha start to have that conversation or advocate for this larger view when it is very easy to look at it from a simplistic lens of, well, it's coming from somewhere else? That's kind of the million dollar question. I mean, I think you go one of two routes. I mean, we heard today retailers are going to Capitol Hill and they're going to go visit the president and they're going to talk about not just the impact that any sort of non-tariff barrier might have in terms of consumer prices and you know disruption to their supply chain, which means jobs. If you're doing something that's reducing their profit margin, then jobs are going to be affected. So they're going that route. You know, I think it's a tougher route to go to the consumer and say, we've got to raise prices because there are, there are barriers up that have restricted our ability to make money. Additionally, I, I'm not really sure how receptive the public would be to retailers saying, we would love to make goods that are all made in America, but this is how much they will cost. Are you guys willing to go for this? You know, again, this goes to that disconnect. I'm not really sure customers realize the split between something that's made wholly in America versus something that may be partially or not at all made in America and the benefits that they get from that. So it's a great question. I, I don't know if anyone has the answer yet. I think the answer is, you know, this industry, not just retailers, but everybody who's involved in global trade kind of enunciating the direct and indirect benefits from a, an employment perspective, from a lifting people out of poverty here and around the world perspective. I think most people in global trade have a worldview about things. And it would be nice if we could kind of spread that message to the country. But it's tough. It's, it's, it's a tough message to bring. Right. It's a very fragile dynamic where, sure, very easily we, you could pass the buck on to the consumer at the end. It's going to hurt them. And it's going to become a lot more costly to just be in this world. If they're not buying as much, it's going to affect the businesses that are trying to sell these things. I and you talked about uncertainty. So, I mean, most supply chain managers are pretty accustomed to dealing with uncertainty. You know what I mean? They have teams and tools that help them manage things like a ship being late or a volcano erupting or, you know, even micro, more micro kind of delays. So dealing with uncertainty is not the problem, but in this case, there is so much grand high-level uncertainty about where to source from, how free trade agreements might change. It's a lot to manage. It's hard to run a business when so many like structural things are kind of uncertain right now. Right. They're very complex systems, as we know. And even if we do make a big move to reshore or to 
you know, promote more manufacturing within our borders, there's still that reality that you're going to have to source certain things from abroad, that technology has changed the way that things get made, and that that isn't necessarily going to change with automation, with other advances, and that the cost of everything could go up significantly, not just for you, the company, but also your consumers as well. So it's a lot. In a vacuum, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to you know, foster manufacturing in a country. I think the expectation levels just need to be set about what that is and what types of jobs there will be. And I think actually the most important thing is how long it will take. It takes a long time to foster a manufacturing and supplier ecosystem. You know, that doesn't happen overnight. If it did, companies would be a lot more, you know, willing to switch their sourcing kind of patterns. But it takes a long time for a company to foster a, a manufacturing supplier base abroad. It would take as long, if not longer, to do it here. So I agree. Uh, it, policies can sometimes happen as fast as the stroke of a pen. But actual change and big movements in this way don't happen overnight. So let's shift the conversation a little bit because you're coming from the world of, of the media. You talk to a lot of people in the industry and, and you write about a lot of relevant topics such as what we've discussed and many others. What are some of the things that you're doing to advance the conversation or to uh, kind of pull together and synthesize some of these things that a regular operational supply chain person isn't thinking of all the time? Well, we write about it Every day, all day. We actually started a few weeks ago a, a sort of a side initiative called the Adam Smith Project, named after, of course, the famous British, I forget actually if he was an economist or not, but he theorized about, you know, the wealth of nations and moving away from kind of a mercantilist view of commerce. And, you know, we started thinking about this about six months ago. It gained a lot of impetus after the election. And not just here, but abroad. I mean, we're seeing lots of protectionist attitude abroad. And so... The idea behind this was to educate the industry internally, but also give them some sort of ammunition to take outside of the industry and upstream within their own companies. You know, educate their sea level about the positive impacts of trade and what it means to their own bottom line and, and also how it sort of, you know, benefits the economy. So, I mean, lots of companies get this. I, I don't want to misrepresent this. There's lots of CEOs who are extremely plugged in about the impact that the trade has on their companies, but some aren't. Some, you know, trade compliance is a, again, in that kind of dark corner, don't mess up, you know, keep us out of trouble, but I don't want to hear too much out of you. This was definitely an attempt to, to you know, sort of empower them. And, and the other aspect of this is, you know, we talked a lot about earlier about this room being kind of like a group that gets it. It is, but it's also sometimes people who are adversarial with one another in a commercial relationship, you know? I'm negotiating with you, you're negotiating with me. This was definitely an attempt to create a community that can speak as one for the value of trade. So that's kind of what we've been spending a lot of the, the early part of 2017 on that, simply because there's been so much movement, at least in terms of projected policy around trade, so. You know, even in the conversations here, you do get a little bit of a sense of the why you would be doing this stuff, because supply chain has a very important role right now. And I would argue that it's as important as ever to be able to not only understand all of these mechanisms and the things that do affect what we do as an industry, but also to be able to tell that story in a way that starts a conversation, not an argument, I would think. 
Yeah, that's a great way of putting it, actually, is, is uh, it doesn't have to be an argument. I think, again, it doesn't have to be a binary kind of situation. You know, I mean, creating manufacturing jobs in the U.S. doesn't have to come at the expense of killing a, you know, an industry that has been successful and creates a lot of jobs unto itself. Again, I think the fact that this is all kind of under the spotlight is good. If there's things that are about our current kind of global trading system that are out of whack or need fine-tuning, I mean, NAFTA is a perfect example. I think both Canada and Mexico are very open to renegotiating it and figuring out like, things like you know, what the digital economy means to NAFTA, which weren't even considerations when it was signed. But wiping them out, thinking about starting trade wars, I mean, that's very anti-productive. Supply chain can be a voice of reason within those kind of extreme positions that I think people are, are taking. So Absolutely. There are valid reasons for these conversations coming up, and there's pain felt not only here, but in other places in the world. And so, yes, maybe sometimes it does take some sort of a catalyst to begin to make that sort of change happen. But it's good to see that in some ways that we in supply chain can help tell that story and advocate and ensure that everyone can somewhat rise together. Yeah, I mean, look, everyone in this room is in the business community. You know, I mean, this has traditionally been a, a group that's had a good story to tell and not just, you know, kind of like a human interest story, but one that's building economies, you know, here and abroad. And when other economies are doing well, it doesn't have to necessarily be at the expense of us and vice versa. And so if there's people in this industry who have 30 years of experience of seeing this, who can kind of advocate that in a, in a broader way, in a mainstream way, I think we can start to kind of chip away at this idea that when one country wins, another loses. So that's essentially what Adam Smith was arguing, you know, that countries can kind of jointly, jointly rise. So, All right. Thank you very much. Eric Johnson from American Shipper and the Adam Smith Project. To find any more of the work that you're doing, where can we go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, thanks so much for having me. It's been, I always love talking about this. It's www.americanshipper.com and www.adamsmithproject.com. All right. Thank you again. This is Matt Gunn for Supply Chain Radio. You can find us on iTunes or your favorite podcast network. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.